Good morning. We're going to start the service this morning with our first candle lighting for our first Advent Sunday. And I'm going to ask you to read where it says all, and I will read where it says reader. We often struggle to admit anger, sadness, and despair before one another and God. Help us learn to lament. May we lament the sins we have committed and the sins committed against us. May we lament the brokenness of the world around us and the ways we have contributed to that brokenness. We have sinned, we have been sinned against, the world is broken, and we have at times broken it. Where are you, God, in the midst of our grief? Where are you, God, in the midst of our pain? Do you hear us crying out to you? Do not be angry with us. Draw near with your steadfast love. Remind us, O oh God, of your faithfulness. May we learn to be honest with ourselves, with God, and with one another in order that we might grow to reflect the kingdom of God to the world. We have hope that God hears our lament. We have hope that we will hear one another's lament. We will create a community of light here as long for the kingdom of God to come. As we light the first candle, we ask the light of, we ask the, light of the world to be present here with us as we learn to be honest with God, with ourselves, and with those around us. We ask God to help us hold the honesty of our community with grace and love so that as we celebrate the birth of Christ and await the return of Christ, we might see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's worship together. Amen, you can stand if you're able or you may remain seated if that's more comfortable for you. Just ask that you take a posture of authentic worship this morning. We're going to sing. Um, but first, I'm just going to pray. God, we thank you so much for this beautiful season of Advent that represents different things for different people and sometimes a bundle of things to a single person. There may be grief. There may be joy. Lord, we invite you into all of it. And we ask you to guide us through those feelings, through those things, the difficult and the good, the suffering and the joy, all together, God. We thank you for your presence, for your being Emmanuel, God with us. Be our light this morning as we sing and worship you. Amen. together in my wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through Cause you are the peace in my troubled sea oh you are the peace in my troubled sea in the silence 
this morning from Psalm chapter 150 verse 6. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is a very familiar verse. Let's read it together. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I think you guys know this one.
into a time of prayer, um, I just want to encourage us, you know, we've, we've spent the past several weeks, a few months ago, talking about how we are one, how we are a united body of Christ, and it's such a beautiful thing, and I, I just want to encourage us uh, to acknowledge uh, the fact that there are a lot of um, who are a part of our body, who are experiencing sickness. Uh, there's a lot of sickness going on. I mean, tis the season, right? As soon as the Christmas decorations go up, all of the sicknesses start going around. And so it's so unfortunate because it's such an exciting for many time of year. Um, but then with all the sickness and everyone having to miss, it's really hard. So I just want to encourage you to look around the room when you have a chance and consider those who you don't see. Maybe reach out, um, give them an encouraging word, pray for them this morning, let, you, let them know that you've been praying for them. Uh, some of our people have been gone for several weeks, and most of them are dealing with never-ending sickness. Um, so please just remember to think about those who are a part of this body, pray for them, let them know that they are missed, let them know that you are praying for them. And if you're watching this morning, we are thinking of all of you and we miss you and we pray that the Lord's peace and strength would be with you today. I also just want to acknowledge that there are a lot in our, uh, many in our congregation who are experiencing grief and loss, um, along with sickness going around this time of year. There are always those somehow connected to us who experience loss right before the holidays. And it's never easy, but it's certainly not easy right before the holidays. Um, and so I just want to let you all know, those of you who are experiencing grief, those of you who have lost loved ones, friends, um, parts of our church that are, are missing this season, that's a, not a small thing. And um, so we remember those who are experiencing that grief, um, those for whom this season is just incredibly difficult and, and unbearingly hard. And so I just want to ask you to remember those this morning. Let's hold them closely in our prayers. And I also want to encourage you, we're going to talk a lot about um, just coming before God honest about our situations and honest about what we're dealing with, what we're feeling and struggling with. And so I want you to begin now. Come before God during this time of prayer. Draw near to him as he is drawing near to you. Open up your hearts before him and let him know what is on your heart, what you are experiencing this morning. And I want to encourage you to invite God to speak into that, to encourage you, to give you peace and strength and so we are going to enter into this time of prayer together. God, we come here together today and we 
carry mixed emotions. We see all of the beauty that is all around us, the lights and the familiar smells of Christmas, the sounds of the familiar songs and hymns that we love to sing this time of year. We're gathered together, many of us, with those we love, and we anticipate this season that is overwhelmingly busy, but also a joyful time for many. And yet we we enter into this season, many of us just already beginning with sickness and never-ending colds and and, and viruses. Um, And so God, we, we consider that this morning, that it's such a joyful time of year, and yet many are already experiencing the the stress and the overwhelming feelings that this time of year brings. And so we enter into this this time with with this honesty, with what's on our hearts, that God, we we want to be filled with your joy. We want to be filled with your hope, with your light, with your love, with your peace. And so God, we come before you and we acknowledge that Many of us are entering into this season with with heavy burdens and heavy hearts. And God, for for those who are feeling this in their own hearts, whether they're here or at home or traveling, God, I pray that you would draw near to them. Your word tells us that, that if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. You are already drawing near to us. And so, God, I pray that your, your presence, that your love would, would fill those homes, would fill those hearts, those who are, are just dealing with this never-ending sickness. We miss those, God, who are not able to be present with us today. And, and for many, those who have not been present for some time. And, and so we pray that you would just fill them with your peace and your strength and help them to know that they are not alone, that you are with them and that they are loved by their church family. May we be agents of your love for those who are going through a hard time with sickness and loss. May we show up and be vessels of your love, your incarnate love. May we carry that with us as we interact with each other, especially this time of year. God, I pray for those who this morning are not only just dealing with temporary sickness and and viruses, but God, there are some in our midst who are fighting for their lives. There are a few in our midst that have been fighting these battles with cancer for some time, and it it still goes on. There are many who are, are just fighting to be able to show up anywhere at any given time. And God, I pray for those this morning. I pray that, that your strength and your peace would fill them. That as they continue to fight, as they continue to, to work to get well, that you would restore and renew their bodies, God. I pray for your healing touch on them, that, that they would just sense that you are with them, that you are their strength when their bodies are weak. And I pray, God, that none of this would be able to take away the joy that only you can bring, that only you can provide And I pray that that joy and that peace would be renewed today. God, I pray this morning for those who are dreading this season. 
And a lot of the time, the many of, for many of us, the reason that, that we might dread a particular holiday season is because we are going to be reminded of who isn't around, of who is no longer with us. And that's not a small thing. It's, it is very difficult, God. And so we come before you this morning and we just acknowledge this is going to be hard. There are many families who are going to be feeling the absence of their loved ones this holiday season, and that's such a difficult thing to go through. And so we think of those this morning, God. God, we pray particularly for the Peters family. God, we pray that you would draw near to them. I pray that that your sustaining grace would be enough to fill them with love and hope and peace and joy. I pray that somehow in the midst of grief and incredible pain and searing loss, I pray, God, that somehow a sense of comfort could be felt. I pray this for the Finney family who is going to be missing Dominic this year. Pray for all of those little ones who are going to be missing their brother, their uncle, their cousin. Little ones have this tendency to name the loss and the absence before us grown-ups do. I was reminded of that recently. That for grown-ups, it's often easier if we just don't talk about it, don't acknowledge it. But those little ones, they are very honest. They're ruthless with their observations of who is not here. And I pray that as they declare this absence, as they declare that they miss these loved ones, I pray that, that you would, in a way that only you can, be present in their hearts and help them to know that, that you are with them as they walk through this grief and this pain, that you know the pain of loss that you have experienced loss, God, that you have felt in your flesh the pain of the loss of loved ones and friends, and that your presence and your peace is enough to sustain us when we are feeling those moments of loss. It doesn't take away the absence it doesn't make it any easier to deal with necessarily, but it's hope and it's joy even in the midst of, of great pain. And that is the mystery of you, God. That is the beautiful mystery of your presence and your sustaining grace. It's mysterious and complex and we don't fully understand. And as much as we try, we really can't put it into words. But God, you are faithful you are faithful to show up, to make yourself known even when we are walking through the deepest, darkest valley. And so that's what we pray for today. That's what many of us are just longing for today, that you would draw near, that you would meet us in those valleys, in those moments of darkness, and that you would be our sustaining hope and our sustaining light. We look for that light today. And we anticipate with great joy the light that is going to make himself known to us. 
So would you do it again, God? Draw near and make yourself known to us today. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, as many of you may have noticed this morning, as we began right out of the gate with the lighting of our Advent candle, and that's always a little preview of, of what's to come, of what which theme we're going to be focusing on any particular Sunday. And so for many of you, you've already acknowledged that today we're focusing on this theme of light, this first Sunday of Advent. Um, I just saw this reminder, and I'm glad that 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 Nicole from an hour ago remembered that Nicole from now would not remember this, so she wrote her a note, and I'm really grateful for that because I do want to remind you uh, that next week is going to be a very special Sunday uh, as we have a, a uh, small Christmas program with our kids um, and just kind of doing a little something extra than what a typical Sunday looks like and uh, as we celebrate the Christmas season. And we're also doing a sack lunch Sunday next week, so that's going to be our, our December fellowship opportunity. And um, we wanted to make that Sack Lunch Sunday a little bit special too, in that we thought it would be fun to have like Sack Lunch Sunday Christmas cookie edition. And so uh, for any who are, are willing and are wanting to, you can make a bunch of Christmas cookies, make your favorite Christmas cookie recipe, and you can bring some to share and we'll do like a little cookie exchange. Um, and so just be prepared to do that. There's no strong expectations. If, if, if for you, it's like, I don't have it in me to do one more extra thing this week or this month, then skip out on making the cookies. It's fine, right? You could buy a box of Little Debbies and, and Oreos and call it good, and it's fine. We won't be mad. Um, so don't go out of your way to make it stressful, but if that's something that would be exciting for you and you would like that, then you're invited to bring cookies, and we're just going to have a little bit of extra fun as we gather together next Sunday. So for those of you who are wondering, Sack Lunch Sunday is, is a Sunday where we just plan to stick around for fellowship after the service. You can bring a lunch, a sack lunch. You can go out and grab something and come back, and it's just an extra fellowship opportunity. So I did just want to kind of make a special note of that. Um, I will make sure that we have some small containers. If, if that's helpful, you don't have to bring containers. I'll buy uh, some disposable containers that, that we can send home with you with your cookies. So that's one less thing you have to stress about, okay? So I hope you'll make plans. Next week's going to be a special Sunday. We're looking forward to that. And so uh, with that, it is the season of Advent. And, and as you noticed, we lit the first candle. Now, here's the, the fun and interesting thing about Advent. So there are, are themes that we typically look at every year during the season of Advent. And maybe some of you are wondering, like, what does Advent even mean? Like, I celebrate Christmas, but what is Advent? And so Advent is a word that means arrival, or preparation, or it can even uh, mean anticipation. And so we celebrate the season of Advent in which we are waiting and preparing for the birth of our Lord. We're, we're kind of taking the posture of our ancient brothers and sisters who were literally waiting in the darkness and preparing for the Advent or the coming of Jesus. And so we kind of go through those rhythms to prepare our hearts 
once again for the coming of our Lord and is celebrating his coming and his coming again. And so we do that by leaning into these different themes, all of which are, are um, they represent who Jesus is himself, right? He is our love. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our hope. He is our light. And, and so today, the first Sunday of Advent, typically the theme is hope. And so today, uh, we're going to talk a lot about hope, but we're going to more specifically talk about hope in the form of light. And so we're going to kind of use hope and light interchangeably today. You notice that we talked a lot about light as we lit lit our candle this morning, and in our passage, we're going to talk about light, and we're going to kind of use light and hope interchangeably, just just to clear that up so you're not confused. Um, we have this Advent candle here, and, and lighting the Advent candle is just one more way that we anticipate. Each week, we'll light another candle in anticipation for lighting the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. And that's just, I mean, for some, that may seem like a, a meaningless ritual, but it truly is meant to be one more way that we can prepare our hearts for the coming of our Lord as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas. And one thing that I just want to kind of point out we have these really handy candles that don't go, you know, they're oil candles, so they aren't actually literally melting down on the outside. Uh, they're just burning up oil. But a lot of churches actually have the, the candles that are melting down with each and every week. And so you'll notice, if you just imagine for a moment that this was our hope candle and it was an actual wax candle, by the time we get around to the fourth Sunday of Advent, there's not going to be much left of the hope candle, right? Like it's going to be melted down to almost nothing. And I really appreciated how one pastor, Ben Krimmer, he talks about hope on the first Sunday of Advent. And he talks about the hope candle that's burned, burning the longest during the season. And I just love how he said this. This doesn't count towards what I'm going to say later. It's extra, so don't count it against me just yet. But I love how he says, so often in life, hope is what burns the longest. How so often it feels like we are burned down to the end of our hope where we barely have any hope left at all, and yet there is still a flicker of light to be seen. And I love that. I love it so much that I thought, well, could I go out and buy some wax candles really quickly just so that can serve as a reminder? But I just thought that that was so helpful, and I hope that 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 um, helps you to prepare your hearts for what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be reading from Psalm 80. That might feel a little strange for the first Sunday of Advent, but just go with it. Uh, be open to what the Lord wants to teach us today, and I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to read uh, the entire chapter of Psalm 80. Don't worry, it's not too terribly long. So hear the word of the Lord. The people of God are saying to God, hear us. Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long? Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. 
Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root, and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. So why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Can you say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm just gonna ask you to trust the process today. Okay, trust the process, trust that we're going somewhere and that this is not going to end as dark and depressing as it sounds, okay? I feel like I just need to throw that out there so that you'll hang on with me rather than just feel like, I really wish I wouldn't have come to church today because I'm leaving more depressed than when I came in. Um, I don't know how many of you are gonna be going through the uh, Advent devotional that we offer every year, um, but I am very excited about the author of this year's devotional. Uh, Dr. Dan Boone is who authored our devotional this year, and he provided a, uh, like a preaching guide that I'm also using, and I just have to tell you, I, I mean, The Foundry always does a great job with these, but I just really have a special appreciation for Dr. Dan Boone. Uh, Just so you know, Dr. Dan Boone is the president of of Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, He also teaches there. He's the professor of pastoral theology and preaching. And, And personally, to me, I just look at Dr. Dan Boone as a a very sound and wise and humble yet bold and much needed voice in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, He provides some excellent um, content for for small groups to discuss. He is very big on having charitable discourse uh, dialogues. He has a, a, a series called Charitable Discourse, but he very much appreciates us being able to have these open and honest conversations within the church that we often don't have. And I just have such a great appreciation for him. So I'll be talking, referencing him a lot throughout this series. And, and as you read through the devotional, I hope that you'll come to appreciate him as well. And so one of the things that, that Dr. Dan Boone does this week is he acknowledges something that is true for the most part for 21st century Americans. Now, this is this is broadly speaking, generally speaking, right? This is not true for every single person or every single place, uh, but generally speaking, and, and, and I would also say that I think that there is a shift that is happening, so things are slowly shifting and changing, but generally speaking, Dr. Boone talks about how among 21st century Americans, we very rarely make space 
for negative feelings and emotions, right? We are very much, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, but we are very much a pull your up by your bootstraps kind of people, you know, like figure it out, just keep pushing through and, and suck it up. Buttercup, you're fine, right? Have you heard that one before? I thought that was like a Southern thing. And we'll leave it there, all right? I'm not gonna use that regularly, but, but it's very much this, this, this idea that you just gotta suck it up and get through it. You'll be fine, right? And, and he talks about that. And so I, had to, I processed that. I thought, like, personally, how does that apply to me? And I really did think, and so I'm gonna speak really anecdotally for Christians and say that I think this is especially true for Christians, for those in the church, that we tend to not want to sit in the negative spaces we just want to push through to the positive ones. And so I thought about this personally, like how has this affected me? Have I done this? And, and I look back and I, I don't know that I was taught to do this per se, but it was somewhere implied that when someone is going through a time of loss or just a time of grief and pain, when someone is experiencing something tragic or difficult, I remember as a young person trying to, to just help them to see the good in the midst of it, right? Like I felt this pressure. I don't know where it came from. I think it was just implied that, that there is this pressure that God must have a good reason for this, right? Like I cringe. I cringe at the, at the, fact, the fact that I ever said something to somebody like that. But that was very much the mentality that was given to me, that was impressed upon me as a young person. And I found myself kind of putting that on other people, right? Like the last thing that somebody wants to hear when they're going through something terrible is God must have a good reason for this. Am I right? Like that's not very helpful. And I was both the recipient of those words and I am sure that I at one time said those words. And so that's just one personal example of what we're talking about here, that we just want to rush through those negative emotions, those negative feelings, and just focus on the good that can come, even though, let's be honest, a lot of times, if we're honest, we would say no good can come from this. Like, I don't see that, and I certainly don't see that in this moment. It doesn't mean it will be true forever, but it's not very helpful in that moment. And, and so I appreciate how Dan Boone gives a more cultural, societal example of, of bereavement leave for, for many companies, for many employers. You know, I don't know. This is something that I don't have a lot of experience with, but I did do like a little bit of researching because I was just really curious. And I did find that 57% of companies do offer bereavement leave. But if you notice, that's a little over half, right? So not, we're not doing too great with that. And 18% and of them offer five days, but the rest are offering around three days of bereavement leave. And, and we're talking about like the same amount for spouses, children, grandparents, etc. cetera. Uh, that just kind of communicates to us as a society how much space we give to go through the process of grief, to acknowledge and sit in that, that pain as we slowly process like what we are experiencing. Do you see what I'm saying? There's kind of a societal example, cultural example, and then more of a personal, more anecdotal example of, of that maybe this could be true. Maybe there is some truth to this idea that we tend to resist making space for the negative feelings and experiences. Why is this important? I think it's important because it, we need to ask the question, 
Like, is it possible that if we don't allow space for these things, if we in society, if we in the church just kind of go along with this and don't offer or create space for, for negative feelings or emotions, for grief and for pain, is it possible that we are subconsciously teaching and believing something that is untrue about God? That maybe God is too busy or doesn't have time or space to deal with our negative emotions. Or maybe we don't need to be bringing our emotions about God because maybe he doesn't care. Is it possible that as we, as we see that this is the way we are shaped and formed, that this is something we could be communicating even unintentionally about God? Like if we ignore, if we repress, if we push down and, and, and pretend like these negative experiences and feelings don't exist, are we really offering space to be truthful and honest and real with God? Are we afraid that we can't fully express what we are feeling and what we are going through to God? Now, let me just make something clear. Like, I'm not talking about just the, the ebb and flow of feelings that we have throughout a day or a time, right? I'm not talking about, like, leaning into every negative feeling and letting it take over and, and overcome you or control you, right? Because we all have bad days. We all have, have seasons or times where we're just grumpy or going through something, and, and that doesn't necessarily always need to be projected onto God, but I'm talking about lived experiences, like going through grief and trauma and pain and, and experiencing devastating loss or, or having just devastating seasons where loss just never seems to stop, whether it's a, a, a personal loss, a physical loss, or an emotional loss. And we go through these seasons, and if we always keep everything locked up and we never create any kind of space to be open and real and raw with one another about what we're feeling or or with God, what we're feeling, is that really helpful? Is that really healthy? And I find it really interesting that if you, if you talk to or if you listen to mental health professionals, like this is, you're, you're, you're beating the sound of their drum, that this is what they teach, this is what they say, that no, this is not helpful. From a psychological perspective, this is not helpful to cover things up and to not give space to them or pretend that, that negative experiences don't exist, right? That they would encourage us to, to get it out and to process and to cope in these ways. And I, I read a life-changing book last year by uh, licensed professional counselor, Andy Kolber, and she says this, and I really, she's a, she's a Christian uh, LPC, so she's coming from all of this uh, or she's coming from a spiritual background when it comes to all of this. And her book was really, really helpful for me as I was processing through some things. And she, she says this, she says, from a psychological and physiological perspective, the more disconnected we are from our lived experience, the more overwhelmed or numb our lives will be. When we deny the reality of our experiences, we don't become more of who God designed us to be but less. And I think it's, I can appreciate that, that Christian or non-Christian licensed counselors will say this, but what I really appreciate is that they're saying something and acknowledging something that scripture already affirms. Like scripture has already affirmed this. Scripture points to this reality. And I always appreciate when medical, when, when professionals, mental health professionals can acknowledge like, yes, there is truth to this, whether you're spiritual or not, right? 
And we see this in scripture. We see this in the psalm that we just read moments ago. That that scripture makes a, a, a decent amount of room for grief, for experiencing grief and, and naming anger and sadness and lament. I mean, have you ever read the book of Lamentations? There's an entire book devoted to lamenting. And, and more than half the Psalms, I'm pretty sure, are, are lamenting. Whether it's personal lamenting or communal lamenting, there's a lot of, of negative uh, feelings that are being processed through and, and confessed to God throughout Scripture. And what I really find compelling about the psalm that we read today in particular is that not only are they naming these experiences, not only are they calling these things out, they are directing them towards God. Like you want to get really serious and really raw and and real, not only are they calling these things out, but they're directing their anger towards God. I don't even know if you noticed that, but, but this is a psalm that is, is crafted by a community. This is a community prayer. And, and I found that out because scholars talk about how, did you notice the refrains that are inserted into this psalm? It almost reads like a liturgy. Like there is space for people to say and respond and read these things or say these things together. Scholars talk about how the refrains are inserted in such a way that it divides the prayer into these parallel passages that are suitable for the people of God to read through together. So it's like a liturgy. This is a communal prayer for the people of God. And in this psalm, they are lamenting. Right? They are lamenting so many things. Not only are they lamenting, but they are, are directing their laments, their laments towards God. They are lamenting this destruction and devastation that covers their land. They are lamenting that they are people living in darkness. They are lamenting that there is this prolonged suffering. It just keeps going. It's never ending And we're naming that before you, God. And they ask these what seem like accusatory questions towards God. They direct these questions toward God. They say, I mean, did you read that part? You have fed them with the bread of tears or you have fed us with the bread of tears. You have made us drink tears by the bowlful. That's that's naming some, some deep and sincere and raw pain. You have made us an object of derision. Our neighbors and enemies mock us. God, you you built these walls up at one time and now you have broken them down. And now they use language like boars, ravage, and insects from the fields feed on the vine. Like, God, you built these walls to protect us and now our protection is gone. This is some serious lament and and strong accusatory questions that are directed towards God. Even though none of this is God's fault, if you read through the story of the people of God, you know that none of this is God's fault, right? None of this is God's doing, and yet they are blaming God for their terrible situation. They are angry at God, and they are blaming him even if it's not his fault. Don't miss that. And I wonder, do you know why that's important here? Like, do you know why I find that to be so compelling? Because as you read through this psalm, and there are others like this, but as you read through this psalm, as often as the people of God direct their complaints and anger toward God and just say, this is how I am feeling right now, God, 
They also affirm and believe that God is trustworthy, that God is good, that God is faithful, and they are calling out to God assured and and confident that God will lean in and that God will draw near and restore them. They are are saying these things toward God. They They are directing their hard, honest questions before God, but there is this expectation that God will hear them and that God will respond to them. Right, so we note we noted all of those negative questions, those those honest, raw questions, and just as much we see these uh, them calling out to God, saying, "Hear us, Shepherd of Israel." They are calling him their shepherd. Right? There's this this language of shine forth, make your face shine on us, turn toward us again, restore us, God, and they say that multiple times. Watch over us, revive us. So for every accusatory question and and statement that is negative directed toward God, there is this hope, there is this affirmation that I can be honest with this God, that he will receive my honesty and he's going to draw near in the midst of that. So what does that tell you? Like this is significant because to me, that tells me that this is not the act of someone who believes that God is going to be angry with them for being honest, right? Like there is not a, a sense of fear here that I can't be honest, this honest with God because he's going to be angry at me. It's going to make me a bad Christian. It's going to make me a bad child of God that God is going to be mad at me if I'm this honest with him. But there is this overwhelming sense of security that I can be honest with this God and this God is still going to draw near and he's going to provide me with hope. And I am rooted in hope that this God loves me and I can be honest with with him as I anticipate a loving response. This hit home for me this week as a parent. I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but hear me when I say that the, the over, and again, this breaks down, right? I'm me, God is God, so there's the breakdown right there. But as a parent, I feel this so much because sometimes You have to make decisions and choices as an adult for your family, and it's hard for your kids, right? You know that it's the best thing. You know that it's the right thing, but it's hard for your kids. And so moving, for example, I don't know, that just came into my head, moving. Moving, and let's say you move out of your kid's school district for like the second time in a short amount of time. It just feels really relevant to me right now for some reason. And you know that this is the best thing for your kids, and yet you sense how hard and painful and difficult this is for your kids. And as a parent, I want my kids to feel that they can come to me and say, I don't like this. This is hard. Like you took me away from my friends and my in this place where I'm comfortable. Like we we're going through all of this change and it's hard and I don't like it. And as a parent, I welcome that honesty because I know that it's part of the process. That them covering it up and feeling like they can't be honest that they're not going through this really difficult thing even though I see the good that I know that I want them to be able to come to me and be honest, and I don't want them to fear that I'm going to be mad at them. I don't want them to feel like they can't be honest. They are, I am secure enough that I can handle their emotion, their negative emotion and feeling. So this resonated with me because if that's me, an imperfect parent that gets it wrong, 
like a lot, how much more is this true for God? who is even more stable, <laughs> he is way more, so much more mentally stable <laughs> than me. And, and, and I know that he is more than capable of handling for us things that cannot be compared to moving, right? Like we're talking about things that are so much more difficult and deep than moving, although for kids, it's kind of the same. Do you see what I'm saying? These are a people who can show up before God and say, God, I am struggling. Where are you? I am drowning here. I feel like there is no end to, to this suffering that I am enduring, and I'm looking for you and wondering, where are you? Are you here? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I am experiencing, God? And, and if you're there, can you just show up? Can you just show me? Can you make, make a way for me to know and to see that you are there? I'm begging. I'm demanding it, God. We see in this psalm that, that these are a people who are secure in their love that God has for them, that they can come before him and be honest. And, and I don't see anything in Scripture so far that says that God would, would say that, no, you can't do that. Right? I see a God expressed especially in Jesus who says, come to me with your, your doubts and your questions and let me show you my truth. I think what we're seeing here is that naming our realities in ways that can't be ignored is a way, a really healthy and important way that we process and cope with the pain that we all experience. None in this room are removed from, from the experience of pain, right? Pain and grief and sadness and sorrow and suffering has touched us all in some way. And so what we're seeing here is, is I, not only on a, on a psychological level, spiritual or not, but we see this affirmed in scripture that repressing only works for so long, that shoving those negative feelings and emotions down and, and making up other excuses for why they are there, that doesn't work for very long. I've experienced this. I can say this from experience. I know, right? You just pretend and you just say things like, give it to God, whatever that means, and oh, check, I did that. And, you know, I, I did all the things that I was told to do as a teenager. I, I wrote down my thing and I threw it in the fire, Right? Like that was just some magical formula and it's all better now. Or, or I, I wrote down that thing that I'm struggling with and I nailed it to the cross because Jesus did all of that on the cross and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Like I went through the motions, I did all the things and yet somehow I still struggled with this, this, this reality that I've not properly acknowledged the pain that I've experienced, my lived experience and that's affecting my life in so many ways. And so when I go through that, when I've gone through that process, I find that it is incredibly effective for me mentally and even more spiritually, I would say. And it's been such a significant part of, of a healing, uh, of my path towards healing in, in many ways in my life. And I think sometimes in the faith community, we try to separate our mental health from our emotion, or and our emotional health from our spiritual health. I think we try to pretend like these are two separate categories. And what I'm finding, uh, the more time goes on, what I'm finding is that you can't separate these things, that they are, are inextricably linked. 
right? That our lived experiences are not separate from our faith experiences. And sometimes we live through some really difficult things. Sometimes we live through really difficult things because of our faith journey or because of our spiritual journey. And so what we're really trying to, to, to acknowledge today is that lamenting is helpful and good for the people of God. Lamenting should not be seen as, as this sense of weakness or you know, unjustified anger. Lamenting is affirmed in scripture and, and lamenting shouldn't be shoved to the side or scoffed at because lamenting is a path toward healing and lamenting is not opposite of hope. And I think that's what this passage reminds us of today is that lamenting is not the opposite of hope. Because we go through things, we experience difficult things in life and pretending like they didn't happen or that those feelings don't exist is not a way toward healing and toward spiritual wholeness. And I think, you know, another thought comes to mind that I I went through a whole list of reasons why this isn't healthy for us as individuals, but I think about us as a community And I think about if we don't ever create space for honesty, for lament, for for just any negative lived experience, if we don't ever create space for that, then what does that communicate to those who are desperate to find hope in the midst of their difficult experiences, right? For those who are Christians who look around and say, why do all these other Christians have it all together? Why do they never go through anything difficult? Why am I the only one that seems to go through difficult moments, through moments of pain and suffering? And and they must not because they don't ever talk about it, right? And I imagine how much hope can be found for the one person who feels like they are alone in their suffering and their struggle. And when we as a community normalize lamenting and naming those difficult lived experiences, the person who is walking through that alone can suddenly realize, has this realization that I am not the only one. There are others who struggle. It's not just me. I am not alone in this. You know, I don't know if you notice, I mean, this is becoming a really popular thing, I think, that a lot of churches now are having what they call blue Christmas services. Uh, lamenting services in general are, are something that many traditions normalize and, and welcome and have throughout the year, but this is something that, that many traditions have been doing for a long time, but more and more churches are doing this now where they have a blue Christmas service. And, and many people tend to scoff or kind of laugh at that idea or think like, well, what's the point of that? That seems really silly. But I have found, I mean, I've never been a part of one, full disclosure, but these, are, uh, these services, these blue Christmas services are a way that a people of God can come together and lament that this is not the best time of year for me. This is the most difficult for whatever reason, right? A blue Christmas service honors the lived experience for those who are going through grief and loss and, and who are experiencing significant pain. And, and these services give them a place where they can be fully present before God and their faith community and say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm experiencing. I'm not feeling the joy and merriment of Christmas. And yet I'm I'm acknowledging this grief and this pain, but most importantly, I am looking to God to be my hope. Not gonna be able to find hope in anything else that this season can offer me except God and God alone. 
And so they, I hope that that is helpful as you see that lamenting doesn't have to be this negative experience for us. Lamenting should be a welcomed uh, experience in the church because it's us being real and open before God and we trust that God not only can handle it, but that God will show up and provide us an incredible amount of hope. And so I no doubt, no, I, I, I fully expect that, as I kind of joked about at the beginning, that many of you are like, why are you depressing us on the first week of Advent? Like, you, this is the most depressing. Is this the blue Christmas service? Because this is really depressing. And the reason that, that this was the, the focus, the scripture and the focus of this first Sunday of Advent as we talk about light and also hope is because the season of Advent is a season of intermingled lament and hope. It's a people who are acknowledging that they are in the darkness, that there is darkness among us, but we are a hopeful people who anticipate the light that is here and the light that is coming. And we see that in this psalm, that these are a people who are longing and waiting for the Messiah in the darkness. You caught on to that, right? Like they are longing for salvation. They are longing to be freed and redeemed. And they have real questions in the midst of their waiting. Like, where is God? What is God doing? Has he forgotten us? But there is hope in the midst of this longing. There is hope in the midst of this lament as we look and watch and wait with expectation that God will hear our prayers, that God will not turn away from us, that God will lean in and draw in, and that God will hear and respond to his people whom he loves. And so maybe today, Maybe today, some of you just needed to be reminded that you, not needed to be reminded, but you are reminded that you have much to lament. Maybe it's individual trauma that you've experienced at some time in your life. Maybe it's personal struggles. Maybe it's a really difficult lived experience. Maybe some of you just find yourselves um, just continuing to lament communal or societal sins that affect us in the church or make this faith journey really difficult. Whatever it is that you're lamenting, maybe you are reminded today that yes, you do have much to lament and I want you to know that you're not alone in that. I hope that you know that you're not alone in that. That there is enough space here for lament and hope. There is enough room. Our God is big enough that he can accept your lament and also offer you hope. And so I hope that you know that if you have much to lament, that there is a space for that here. That there is space for lamenting here, that you can call upon God with, as you are surrounded by your faith community and say, God, where are you? How long, O Lord? But, and this is, I say this often and I really mean it, a lot hinges on this word, 
But we do that while clinging to hope that God has come, that God is here, and that God is coming again, and he continues to redeem and restore. And we can open up ourselves to a God who is faithful, who is with us, who does draw near in our pain, in our anguish, who has saved and who is still saving and delivering us today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And as we reflect on these things, <laughs> you saw, I saw that. <laughs> as we reflect on these things on this first Sunday of Advent, we hold closely to a God who continues to show up and who loves us in the midst of our pain, our grief, our loss, and our trauma. But he, we also remember that Christ came to be the light of the world. And so even if in four weeks, this metaphorically small candle, right, is almost gone and there's like nothing left, I just want you to kind of imagine that as you look at this candle for the next four weeks, that, that this could also be a candle that's yay high, that's barely going, but there's still a light because there is hope even in the midst of lament. I'm reminded as we enter into this season of Isaiah 9, when we read that, that, that we are, or you know, this was true for those of that time, but we can relate to the fact that, that we are a people walking in darkness, but for us, there has come a great and wonderful light. I'm reminded of John who reminds us that, that he is the light and life of the world, and in him there is no darkness. And we're going to sing in a moment, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this is hands down, thank you, Nikki, my favorite, favorite Christmas hymn. There is so much anticipation embedded within this hymn. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I did some researching this week, and I discovered that this is a ninth century Latin hymn. I don't know if you knew that, but ninth century Latin hymn that for centuries for so long now, this has been a sacred and ancient Advent ritual that the people of God have come together to sing. And I want you to look for the themes in the song as we sing it together, because there is this theme of, of lament or where are you, God? And as we sing, O come, O come. But there is also so much hope as we sing, rejoice, rejoice. Right? There's a tension there. Oh, come, God, and we rejoice at the ways that you have come and you continue to come. And so, God, as we draw our hearts near to yours, as we open up our hearts to you in this moment, as in a time of reflection and response, I pray that you would come, that you would be Christ with us, that you would offer so much peace and love in this moment as we come openly and honestly before you. Amen. Amen. You can stand with us if you're able. I think this is also appropriate as we're singing to have in our mind that we're preparing to approach the table. And what a beautiful and regular practice for us to hold intention, joy, and sadness and grief at our sin, the cost of our sin, but joy that Jesus was willing to pay that price to set us free, amen. Let's sing together.
captive Israel Thy mourns in lonely exile here Until the Son of God appear Rejoice, rejoice, Spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. As we prepare for a time of communion, um, I just love it. It never fails that even though we have communion the same Sunday of every month, the first Sunday of every month, um, so often the preaching passage goes so well with communion, and I, I think that it could go with any, but it just always feels so right and helpful and appropriate, and the timing is always so beautiful. And, and part of what I want us to cling to today as we cling for hope in the midst of darkness is that, that we are on the other side of Christ coming, right? That there were those who were in the darkness, who, who were waiting for that salvation, who uh, we can't even imagine. There was no sign or anything in sight. There was just a never-ending, it seemed, season of darkness. And, and we are those who are here 
after Christ has come and he is our salvation. And so as we enter into this time of communion, as you come to the table, as we say, you are invited to come. And this was, our, our Lord was the first one to invite you to this table as he invites you to reflect on the life and the salvation that would be found in him. And so we can come to this table with, with great hope in the midst of whatever it is we are experiencing or going through, we come to this table with great hope that God, that Christ, God incarnate, loved you so much that he was willing to die on that cross for your sins to show you how serious, how seriously in love with you he was. He laid down his life for us. And friends, there is so much hope to be found in what Christ has done for us. And so I invite you to reflect on these things as we prepare to come to uh, receive this morning. I'm gonna invite Bo to come forward and in a moment, um, the ushers will dismiss your row and you can come forward and receive. All are invited to come. You don't have to be a member here. All are invited to come and to receive and you will come forward You'll receive your elements, and if you will take those back to your seat and hold on to them, we will partake together in a few moments. And I just want to encourage you to, to approach this time with, with the most, um, just acknowledging how significant this is, I guess. I want to encourage you to be opening your hearts up to how God wants to use these tangible signs of grace to fill you and to sustain you today. I pray that this meal would, would strengthen you as we go out into the world in a few moments. And so I'm gonna ask if anyone needs me to bring these to you. If you aren't able to come forward, please raise your hand and I will come to you now. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a body. We reflect on this gift that we receive from our Lord. God, I pray that in a mysterious way, in a way that only you can do, that you would take this bread and this cup and that as we sit in this moment and reflect on your love for us, that it would truly fill us and sustain us and that we can go and pour ourselves out for others because your love compels us to do that in response today. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which has been given for you. And so friends, you take and you're invited to take and eat and be thankful this morning. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this cup is the blood of a new covenant that is given to you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and let it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. And so friends, take, drink, and be thankful. Amen. 
Would you stand with us as we sing this song together? this benediction from Numbers 6, 24 through 26 that our text referenced today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I pray that you would go in that peace today. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.